Hi, and welcome to the Common Confident Chabad Mom Podcast. I am on a mission to take moms from stressed and overwhelmed to calm and confident. Join me on this journey, and you will be sure to learn many tips and tools along the way. Hey everyone. So today I have something a little different for you. It's not my regular recorded podcast. It's actually a recording of an interview that I did for Base Rifka High School Girls. They interviewed interviewed me on the topic of how can I become a confident self. So you can listen in here to the conversation I had with these amazing girls and I'm so happy for them that they are integrating these kinds of tools into their own life. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ready and Able, a podcast for the girls, by the girls. We help you make Torah practical. Today, we have here with us, Mrs. Adina Landau. Hi, Mrs. Landau. Hi. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. So thank you for having me. My name is Adina Landa, and I am on Shulchas in Northern California, a city called Novato. Um, we started 10 years ago from scratch. So now, Baruch Hashem, we have a really thriving community and I run things like Hebrew school and camp and women's groups and classes and typical shulcha stuff. Um, camp, that's my plug for camp. We're always looking for amazing counselors. And Baruch Hashem, I have six children, Kadanahara. And also six years ago, I became a life coach and I coach mainly Chabad moms, but really we're all humans. We all have the same stuff that we deal with. So tons of different topics that come up, things like stress and time management and all kinds of relationships and confidence and anxiety all the stuff. So I love talking about that kind of stuff too, especially how we, how Chassidus helps us to handle all of those things. So today we invited you here to speak about confidence and how to come into your confidence and how to like use Tara practically and help you really become your best self. Um, how do you define confidence? Okay. So great question. And actually for the purposes of this talk, I want to make a distinction between confidence and self-confidence, two different things. And I'm going to tell you the difference, but the first thing that I actually really want to tell you, actually, I'm, I'm going to define them and then I'll tell you the difference. Um, okay. So confidence is your belief in your ability to do something. Okay. So for example, all of you listening probably have confidence in your ability to pour a glass of water. Cause you're like, yeah, I could do that. If I asked you to pour a glass of water, you wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. You're like, yeah, I can do that. I can pick up a, a, a pitcher and pour a glass of water. That's confidence. Okay. Um, it's your belief in your ability to do something. And you probably have that belief because you've done it plenty of times. Self-confidence is your ability to believe in yourself, no matter what. It doesn't matter if you've done something or haven't done something. It's your belief in yourself that I have my own back, no matter what. I'm I'm going to be there for me, no matter what my ability to believe in me as a human. And I actually want to say that self-confidence, like the, the idea of believing in yourself is like the idea that we all have a nefesh alokis means that you are inherently worthy. 100%. There's nothing you can do to add it to your worthiness and nothing you can do to detract from your worthiness. It is just like, God-given right, you are inherently worthy, you have an official kit. So self-confidence is you really tapping into that and believing that about yourself. So I really love this, this quote or this concept, I guess, is that you do things with confidence, but self-confidence is what allows you to do things, right? 
So I'll just give like an example. Um, maybe you're asked to speak on, in some kind of forum like this, right? I don't know, in high school or if someone asks you to speak. So maybe it's something that you've never done before. And so you're, you don't feel confident about it. You don't have confidence. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. What if I do a terrible job? What if, right? Self-confidence is I'm just going to have my back no matter what. Doesn't matter how I do, doesn't matter how it's received, it doesn't matter what people think of it. None of that matters because I'm here for me. I believe in me as a human. And then the more you do those things, the more it builds your confidence to do those things. And then eventually you're gonna have confidence in that thing that you never had confidence to do before. So self-confidence is what allows you to do things. And then you do things with confidence. How would you describe a person who is lacking confidence or doesn't know how to recognize confidence within them? Okay. So a person who, and, and again, I'm going to make that distinction between lacking confidence versus self-confidence, right? So if you're lacking self-confidence, all it means is that you're a person who experiences probably a lot of self-doubt, all humans, that's all of us, right? But that person is giving in to their self-doubt. And when you give in to your self-doubt, you keep yourself small. So all of us, we all experience self-doubt and negative voices, voices of I'm not good enough, you can't do this, you're inadequate, all of that, which by the way is, you know, definitely coming from our Nefesha Bahamas and definitely coming from like, it's like a, a Yetzirah voice, but we all have that. The difference is whether you are going to now listen to those voices and therefore keep yourself small, that is how I would describe someone who is lacking in their self-confidence. Versus somebody who is like, yep, I've got all these voices and I'm still going to have my own back. I'm still going to do those things. I'm not going to let those voices keep me small. So like, let's say, for example, for myself, right? When I became a coach six years ago, I could have had thoughts like I'm no good at this and other people can do it better and I probably won't be successful. And because I have those thoughts, then I'm not going to do it, right? I'm like, no, never mind. Versus those thoughts are there but I'm not going to let those thoughts be what controls me, be what runs my life. And then when we do that, that's when we don't allow ourselves to discover our true potential, our true inherent worthiness, our true potential of our nephew's kiss and what could happen. When you're like in a moment of like you're doing something new and you're really feeling like, oh my gosh, like you're in the moment, I can't do this. Like you're doing it, I can't do this. How can you get out of that kind of negative derogatory headspace. So, so just to understand your question, you're saying when someone has all these negative voices, what do you do? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Number one, I want you to realize it's not a problem. So here's the thing. We think like our brain offers up all these thoughts. We have like 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts, right? And some of them are going to be positive and some of them are going to be negative. And some of them are going to rule our life. And some of them are just going to like float on by, right? So just like the Tanya tells us that, that machshava thoughts are a lavush. What does that mean that they're a lavash, they're a garment? You can decide what you want to wear. We have the ability to open up our closet and be like, this has too many holes. This doesn't fit me anymore. This is not the right season. This doesn't, I don't feel good in this, right? You can literally like look in your closet and decide what do I want to put on today? And what am I not going to wear today? That is what we can do with our thoughts. So when you have a thought, if you right away identify with it, right? Your brain tells you you're no good at this. And then you're like, yep, no good at this because my brain gave me that sentence. You're not realizing that it's actually optional, that all of our thoughts are a lavush and we can actually take them off and say, no, thank you. We don't have to identify with every thought that just decides that our brain just decides to offer us. So it's almost like I want you to separate. There's you and there's your brain. 
and all the thoughts that your brain wants to give you. And it's not, it's not the same thing. You are not your thoughts. You are not your brain. So what if, let's say you're trying your hardest, but then you have other people telling you it's not what you can do or like, oh, I don't know that you could do this. How do you kind of distance yourself from other people's opinions to not give stock to other people's opinions? Okay. It's a great question. Um, so again, I also want to just offer that that's the human experience. This is what we all do, right? We, we, um, we are wired for connection. So we, as humans, we, we do care about what other people think. We care about acceptance. We care about being part of the group, right? Like that is how we are created as humans. So it's not a problem to care about what other people think. I think only narcissists, total narcissists, like are like, could not care less what other people think. It's not, that's not actually so healthy. So it is okay to care about what people think, but we have to be really, really discerning with how we're using that. And so when you are looking to work for someone else to make you feel a certain way, like I'm looking for your approval so that I can believe in myself. I'm looking for your, um, you know, your belief in me so so that I can believe in myself. It's never going to work. Because then you're only, as long as you have someone's approval, then you think good about yourself. And as long, and then as soon as someone doesn't approve of you, you're like back down in the dust. So I would say like, you want to first separate other people and what they think. The first thing you really want to do is actually get in tune with yourself. Like why does someone else's thoughts matter more than your own thoughts? So the first thing you really want to do is get very clear with yourself. What do I think about this? What is my opinion about this? What do I think of me? It's kind of like it's your relationship with yourself is is number one and making that really, really, really solid. Then you can like take feedback from other people in a very healthy way, not in a way where you're you're deciding your self-worth based on that feedback versus I know my self-worth. I know who I am. I know what I can do. I know what I'm capable of, all of that. And now I can like take feedback from people around me in a very healthy, in a very healthy way. That's really interesting on kind of like to bring that in, in today's society, we're like, we're almost always connected to some type of social environment, whether it's like in school where you're with your friends or after school, you're on social media. Like, how do you like kind of, what are some ways to make time to like figure out, like talk with yourself? Like how can we distance ourselves enough to um, be able to discern these yeah, things? That, that's a super great question. I like to like all this stuff. It's like so much is coming at us all the time, especially when you say like we're in social circles and we're in social media. It's all social, right? And, but that's really this like very external way of um, processing the world versus getting really internal with yourself first. And so what I really love to do is what I call a thought download. And what that really is, is like taking a pen and paper. And I'm going to explain to you why I really suggest that you take the pen and the paper um, and just getting all your thoughts out onto paper unedited. That's what a thought download is. It's like, I'm not going to edit myself. I'm not going to second guess. I'm just going to like take my brain and put it onto paper because what that does is it gives you a little bit of space from your thoughts where we have the ability as humans to become watchers of our brain. Like I said before, when we when it's all just happening up here and we're just kind of like thinking, 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 we associate too much with our, with, with our own thoughts, right? We're like, my brain said this, it must be true. Versus like, no, my brain said this because we have this like default automatic brain that's just gonna like feed us thoughts. And now I can write down everything I'm thinking and have a look at it. I can become the watcher of my brain. And when you get that space from what your brain is feeding you, then you can like have a look at it and really look, start questioning it. Do I want to believe this thought? Is this thought true? Is this thought helping me? 
is this thought taking me further away from the person that I want to be? And we can actually like really have a look at our thoughts. So that's how we can get in touch with ourselves. Like all the stuff around us is what I call cognitive load. It's like just stuff coming at us and it can create a lot of buzz and a lot of cognitive load. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to, <laughs> another word for that, but just like really this, just so much going on in our own brain. And what we want to do is kind of, um, uh, tune, it's like turn the volume down on all those external things coming at us and get really turn the volume up on our own internal voices. And again, the way you're going to do that is not just by letting all your internal voices just, um, kind of run on automatic inside of you, but to get it out onto paper so that then you can have a look at it. And then you can really be much more intentional with like, what am I choosing to believe here? What am I choosing to think here? So I know me, like, I know like my generation especially is like extremely like lazy when it comes to these things. Like, is there any other way to do it besides for like physical pen on paper? Because like, I know for me, it's like, even like writing it, like I, I think too fast to write. So like, is there any other ways that we could kind of be able to, are able to be a watcher? Um, well, it's sort of like, yes, yes, you can become a watcher, but I think it's going to come first from, from doing things like getting really intentional with a pen and paper. Like, in other words, I do a lot of that, whether you want to call it journaling or thought downloads or whatever it is, self-coaching, right? Coaching myself to the point where. Yeah, there's plenty of times I'm in the middle of a, I'm in a grocery store, or I'm wherever out in public, I'm not like pulling out a pen and paper because what's going on? Why am I feeling so overwhelmed and anxious and, and self-conscious in my own skin, right? Like I can, I can then like, no, like, let me slow down my brain. Let me become a watcher my brain. Let me understand what, what my brain is telling me, right? My um, is like foundational, foundational from Tanya that our brain rules over our heart, meaning our emotions, anything we're feeling is coming from a thought in our mind, right? So if you're feeling, um, if you're feeling self-conscious, maybe your thought is no one's going to like me or, or people are judging me or whatever, right? Like you have a sentence in your brain and then you have an emotion in your body. Maybe if you're in a social setting and you're feeling anxious, your thought is, you know, people are judging me or whatever, right? Like there's lots of flavors of what we could be thinking and what will create the emotion. So can we become a watcher of our brain without pulling out a pen and paper? Yes. But I do think that it takes practice because that's not what we do automatically, right? Right now, probably most of you can identify with like your brain gives you a sentence and you just believe it and think it, right? You're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart. I'm not, I'm not outgoing like all these other people. And you just think you're telling yourself the truth. And so to get from being able to just sort of identify with every thought your brain feeds you and then getting space from that and becoming really intentional with what you allow your brain to tell you and what you allow yourself to believe. I do think that it is going to require probably something than when you, what you're already doing. And so if what you're already doing is just letting it all run wild up there, I don't know that that it's going, you're going to be able to create something different by doing the same thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when we're taking this pen to paper, what are some like questions that we can answer as like a brain watcher to like create space between ourselves and our thoughts? Okay. There, obviously there's so many, right? It's, it's endless what you could write, but there's a couple of things I want to tell you. Number one, when you do this thought download, emptying your brain onto paper, you could just do random, right? It could just be like, whatever's coming out right now. Like, let's just say you're feeling super overwhelmed and you're like, I have no idea why take a pen to paper and just write and see what comes out. But the other way you could do it is if you're kind of curious about a specific topic and you can literally put a title at the top and say, my thoughts about myself. 
right? You have a, t- and then you're like, now what comes out? So you're getting like, you're kind of having intentional about like what you're doing a thought download on. You're like, like a word association. Yeah. Yeah. Like one could just be like, I just want to get my brain on paper and see what's going on for me. But one could be like, what, what do I think about myself? Or what do I think about being in high school right now? Or what do, whatever, like whatever topic it is that you're almost like curious what your own, like a lot of times I would de- definitely say to start with your relationship with yourself, which is a lot of like where this confident stuff is going to come from is like my thoughts about myself, what's going to come out. Now that's those two ways that I just said, where you're just doing open-ended brain on paper or a title with brand paper, that's called an unintentional thought download. So that's like, I'm not, I'm just seeing what comes out, but then you can also do an intentional thought download, which is I'm going to let my brain focus on, for example, what I love about myself, why I'm inherently worthy, right? Like yeah. having an episode kiss makes me inherently worthy and what that means to me. You can like, you can, instead of what comes out on default, you are focusing your brain on purpose to go in a certain direction, right? Yeah. Let's say your brain tells you I have no friends. So then you can might have a whole thought download on like why you think that's true and whatever, but you can also like do a thought download on like, how could it be true that I have friends or who are the important people in my life? Or right. You can like take your brain to a very specific way of of questioning that narrative. Like almost turning it into positive light. Yes. Except I just want to, yes, portraying in a positive light, but I just want to be like really clear that it's like finding stuff that you already know and believe you're just not giving yourself the time to think about it. It's not like, let me just like, if, if your brain tells you like I'm isolated, I'm alone and I have no friends, it might be really hard for you to go from that to like, no, I'm actually, I'm really popular. I have tons of friends and everyone loves me. Right. So I'm not trying to tell you to like give yourself fake positivity. It's almost like, let me just question that narrative that my brain is telling me that I'm automatically believing and see if I can like poke some holes in it. Like, Mm -hmm. is it possible that there are people that like me? Is it possible that I do have some friends, right? Like, so just, I just want you to be careful that you're not like, just kind of like, uh, covering up what's going on for you with like, let's just be positive versus like real, um, it's, it's real Avaita, honestly, this is like real Avaita to like dig deep within yourself to start questioning the stuff that your brain tells you and the way that you act on default and automatic, like all your automatic thinking and to like do the real Avaita of coming to a different place. That's yeah, that's a cool, that's very important to say. And I think that that's like a very interesting way of bringing it down. Like in reality, um, I have like a separate question. How do you like, how do you think our relationship with Hashem impacts the way we think about ourselves? Um, I think it's fascinating. I think that like Hashem loves every single one of us a thousand percent unconditionally. Like I said, he's like, I put a piece of myself in you. Like <laughs> you have a chalika kamimah mamish, like literally a piece of myself in you. I, I love you. T- like, I love you. You're p- a piece of me. And I think that all of our negative self-concept is, it's kind of like, it's just part of Gullus where it's like, we have to dig through that to get to what the truth is. Right. So it's kind of like the muscle, like, like the Basham Tov tells us every single Yid is a, is an Eretz Chifetz. We're a land of desire. And yeah, there might be a ton of mud and you have to dig to get to the diamonds, but who are you really is the diamonds and the mud. Yeah. Your brain's going to offer you the mud. Your, your default brain is going to tell you all the negative things about you. And that's the mud, but that doesn't take away from the fact that underneath that mud is a diamond and that's who you are essentially. 
I actually meant to do this here, but I don't have it. But just imagine I have a $100 bill in my hand, right? $100 bill. And you can all agree that a $100 bill has value, right? I can go and buy something worth $100. Now, if I take that $100 and I crumple it up in my hand so that it's all creased, does it, is it still worth $100? Yeah, right? It still has that exact same value. Just because I crumpled it up doesn't mean that now it's not worth $100. And so it's like, we have infinite worthiness. We have a piece of Hashem inside of us that is untouchable. Un, it, it's it's pure. It's divine. It's like the holiest possible thing. And so if we're telling ourselves, I'm awful and I'm terrible, and you have this really negative relationship with yourself, does that mean that you still don't, that you don't have a chelak al Does that mean you're not like perfectly have a piece of Hashem 100% inside of you? No. It just means you're like throwing dirt on yourself instead of digging for the diamond. So Got carried away a little bit there, right? So when you said, how does your relationship with Hashem, I just want to make sure I answer the question. How does your relationship yeah. with impact how you look at yourself? Yes. What you said? Yeah. When you are really in tune with your relationship with Hashem, it means that you're actually identifying yourself as a piece of Hashem. You're going to view yourself in such a beautiful, wholesome, godly light. You're going to have so much self-confidence. When you are... um not in tune with that. And then maybe you're struggling with your relationship with Hashem, which is totally fine and normal. We all do that too. But like when you are not seeing yourself the way Hashem sees you, then you're identifying with the dirt. You're identifying with the, the crumpled $100 bill as if that is what creates your value. Mm-hmm. I, I like that answer. I really resonated with that. Um, we have some questions in the chat box and I would like to ask you some of them. So what if someone has trouble believing themselves? Like what if they're starting from ground zero? Ground zero, trouble believing themselves. Do you have like a little bit more specific, like believing themselves, what that, what? Do you have like, um, it doesn't, there's no like other. Okay, I'll, I'll address it. But if that question wants to just get more specific, it just helps. But what I would just say is like, I like to think of it as what I call a thought ladder, right? So there's like the bottom of the ladder is what you currently believe. And the top of the ladder is what you want to believe or what is right. Whatever. Let's, let's just say the bottom is like, um, I'm no good. I'm just making that up. And then the top of the ladder is like, I'm 100% worthy, right? So someone who truly believes I'm no good is not going to be able to just right away go to like, I'm 100% worthy, right? So if you're like, kind of like when you said, if you're starting from ground zero, I would say, what is like one rung up the ladder that you can start thinking that's going to feel a drop more useful or positive for you than I'm no good. So maybe it's, it's possible that I have some goodness inside of me, right? Maybe that person's like, can go from I'm no good to it's possible that I have some goodness inside of me. It's possible that whatever it is, right? Like, and it just feels a drop better than I'm no good. And I would just say, every time your brain's like, I'm no good, you're like, no, it's possible that I have some goodness inside of me. It's possible that I could be wrong about that. Even that, even you can even, you can even just go to like, it's possible that I could be wrong about that, right? So you're not going to, I'm 100% worthy. You're just climbing up that ladder very slowly. Mm -hmm. How does someone who struggles with like kind of, utilizing their god-given talents and like presenting them in a great and like an awesome way how do you someone like kind of face their fears of like kind of either maybe it's singing in public or speaking in public or like putting out an essay that they wrote or sharing their art like how do how does what's a good way to like kind of push through that barrier of 
what if people don't like it? Yeah, I love that. Okay. I'll tell you why, because we have such a misconception. We have a misconception. That's like, let's just say someone has a God-given talent or they, or whatever, they know they have a talent. I'm talented at singing. Right. And then they're like, but what if I go sing and no one likes it, or I'm scared to sing because what's going to be the reaction. And then we think that because I'm scared, I shouldn't do that thing. Cause that's really scary. And it's such a misconception. It's like, feel the fear and do it anyway is how you get to the other side. Like success is built on a stack of failures. I want you to think about that. And the reason, especially for all of you listening, because this is high school stage, right? In school, we're taught to get A's and that failure is not a good thing and we shouldn't fail, right? It's like, you got to get A's. We don't fail. In life, failure is exactly what you need to create success. You have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to feel uncomfortable. So that's like, that's the misconception is like, we think that we should feel good all the time. I've got this great talent of singing. Now I'm just going to like have tons of self-confidence and put it out there into the world and sing. And it's going to be amazing verse. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. It works the opposite. I'm so scared. I'm so scared that people might not like my voice. People might not like what I do. It doesn't matter that that's where the self-confidence comes in, right? Maybe you don't have confidence to sing or confidence about people's reactions, but you're going to go to your self-confidence, which is I'm going to love myself through that whole thing, no matter what. I'm going to have my own back through that whole thing, no matter what. So like, for an example, let's just say right here, this podcast, right? Mushka reached out to me, asked me if I could do it. I said, sure. Now it happens to be, I'm, I'm not actually scared of doing these things, but let's just say my brain was like, what if no one likes what I have to say? What if it's just like a total fail? What if all the feedback I get is awful? My response to those thoughts is it's okay. I'm going to love myself through that. I'm going to tell myself, well, I learned something. I learned what worked and what didn't work. I learned what I should do different next time. I learned something from that. Fail. Actually, if you take the word fail, I love this. It stands for first attempt in learning. That's what fail is, right? So if you go sing, you're like, I I love to sing. I'm going to go like sing a whole solo in front of my whole high school, whatever it is. And let's just say your voice starts, I'm making stuff up. I have no idea. I don't know anything about singing, but your voice starts cracking in the middle and the microphone goes bad. And it just, the whole thing. And like, you just feel like no one's really even paying attention or enjoying it. And the whole thing falls flat. You can go make that mean and never mind, shouldn't sing anymore. That was terrible. I'm not talented. Never going to do this again. Or you can make that mean, okay, wow. I still know I have a great voice or I, I still know I'm going to sing, but like, what would I do differently next time? What do I want to make this feedback mean? What am I going to make this mean about myself? How am I going to just use this as an opportunity for growth and for my next way that I'm going to take my talents and bring it out to the world? Mm-hmm. So I, we have yeah. we have a very um, long question here that I think is a little bit worth answering. I mean, a lot of it. Um, it says, I'm a very introverted person and in a school full of extroverts, it's hard to feel confident. I know that introverts and extroverts both have great qualities but it's hard to identify my qualities when it feels like nobody else appreciates them. It's very hard to come to a school every day feeling totally different. Do you have any tips? Yeah. So I want to first just validate you. I'm an introvert also. And we actually live in a world that is just more suited. I don't want to say more suited. I want you to like take that in the wrong way, but we live in a world that like highlights the extroverted personalities more, or there's more, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how I want to say that. I don't want you to use that against yourself. I just want to say like, Yes, you're not alone in being an introvert. There are plenty of introverts in the world. And I can 100% understand that feeling where you're like, I come to school, there's a lot of extroversion going on, and I kind of feel introverted and all of that. 
But this is really where um, building up your own self-confidence, again, your, your belief in yourself, your love for yourself, your relationship with yourself, tuning into that is going to help you because I'm just going to give it a personal example. So I'm also an introvert and I would go to things like the kinos where there's lots of people and lots of tables and lots of uh, discussions and like, and it's like so overwhelming. And I would be so self-conscious in my own skin. And so like, what are people thinking about me and like all that stuff. Right. But when I really worked on my relationship with myself, I didn't necessarily become an extrovert, but what I did was it, it made me comfortable in my own skin, which means there's a difference between sitting at a table where everyone's chatty and you're like, how do I start a conversation? How do I get comfortable at this table? How do I feel normal? Everyone's extroverted versus sitting at a table and just be like, I can be, I can be comfortable in my own skin, just sitting here. I don't need to, I can make conversation if I want to like, like really solidly, like I'm okay right here. I don't need to make conversation if I don't want to. I like just like comfortable in your own skin. It doesn't mean that you now become an extrovert. It doesn't mean like you could, if you want to, but it's like, it's like this, this, this deep comfort, <laughs> trying to find the right words, just this deep comfortableness with your own self. Now at the same time, yeah, sorry, go it's ahead. It's like, I'm okay being quiet at the table because oh, yes. I know that I am, that's my, that's my strength. Yeah. I'm quiet. Yeah. Yes. Like this is me now at the same time, the more we like focus on our own selves in some ways that the harder that is for us. So I used to like, like when I would talk about being so self-conscious, it's because I was like thinking about myself the whole time. What are they thinking about me? And am I appearing normal? And do people actually want to talk to me? Right. Versus coming into a room. And I have this thought now when I come into like a big room and I might get overwhelmed, which is, I just genuinely want to get to know people and people probably genuinely want to get to know me. I literally, so I'll sit at a table completely comfortable and be like, I just want to, I want to get to know somebody else. And they probably want to get to know me too. And if you see like the flavor of that way of talking to myself takes it like the pressure off and the, like the self-absorption off. Right. So when we are in a place, And here's another thought I like to use also is someone else here could be really uncomfortable. And by me just being comfortable in my own skin and genuinely wanting to get to know them, I could also help them out, right? Maybe they're sitting here feeling uncomfortable. And when I sit down and I just say, hi, what's your name? And start talking to them and making conversation because I'm not so self-absorbed and I focus on someone else, it helps them and it helps me. So so sometimes like when we're, we're too much in our own brain and we're too much thinking about our own selves, we get in our own way. I just want to offer that also. How can you get over the fear of failing? Because I know that like in some examples, like every someone could like think like, oh, I've built up this like kind of image for myself because I'm so classically successful. Like I get good grades without studying and like I am always at events and I'm always like seen with all these friends. Like I'm scared to fail. How does that person get over their fear of failure and like um, to move on yeah do you have a specific example on that one like fear fear of failure to do like, like what let's say you're someone who's like I said everyone sees them as the quote-unquote perfect person like they always have their stuff together they always have their this and that then when it comes to making an initiative like starting a new program in school like they're scared of failing yeah 
It's kind of interesting because the way you described them at the beginning doesn't, it doesn't sound very pleasant, right? It's like, I've got this image and I've got to live up to it. And everyone has to think like that to me, that sounds really pressurizing. Yeah. It doesn't sound like, oh, I feel really good in where I'm at and what I do. And now if I go do this scary thing, I'm scared of failure. That, but the way you portrayed the beginning doesn't sound pleasant, right? So there's kind of like two different things there. But what I want to say about failure is like asking yourself, what is on the other side of me being willing to feel the failure? Me, be, me being willing to fail, whatever that means, by the way, failure is just how you think about it. Again, if you just look at it as like a step in learning and you could just evaluate and learn and do something different next time, you don't, you don't even have to consider it failure, right? But let's just say you do think it's failure. Why, why is it worth feeling? So for example, again, I'll just use this just because I'm here. Let's just say Mushka asked me to do this. I'm here. I'm right doing this for you. And let's just say, I'm like, but what if I fail? And in my mind, failure means I'm going to get tons of negative feedback. No one's going to like it. And it's not going to resonate with anyone. Okay. So then I have to ask myself, and then I have to ask myself, why is it worth doing it anyway? Why would it be worth still saying yes, giving this talk, if all those things happen? or if they don't happen, right? So, or not even if they, if they, like with the thought that those things might happen. So what's on the other side of it? For me, what's on the other side of it is if all those things happen, I'm going to just learn and grow from it. And then I'm going to do way better next time I get asked to do something like this, right? Or what if those things don't happen? And what does happen is I get to have a positive impact and help hundreds of high school girls. Wow, that's what's on the other side. So it's worth it for me to say, I'm willing to feel failure. I'm willing to fail because look what might lie on the other side of that. So let's go to the singing example. Let's say there's someone who's like, I love singing. It's my talent. I'm going to get up in front of my whole high school. I'm going to sing this solo, right? And she's so scared of feeling. But what's on the other side of that is her like developing her talent and building confidence, building confidence and self-confidence to then go out and continue to use her talent. So it's worth it to fail. Or worth it to be willing to feel failure or be willing to put yourself in harm's way because there's something really special on the other side of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I I really like that answer. Um, how, what are like some little ways in like everyday life to kind of get yourself more comfortable with feeling failure? Like let's say, I don't know, on purpose wearing something that you don't feel comfortable in, like things like that. Yeah. I love this. Okay. So I, I give my clients an exercise called dare of the day. And this is like, it's like, people are like, wait, but I'm so scared. So I'm not going to do this thing. And then they're wondering why they're not confident. I'm like, no, doing scary things is what builds self-confidence because you do the scary thing and you, you're your own best friend through it. Right. I'm going to have my self-confidence again. I'm going to have my own back through it. So it's actually on purpose giving yourself dares of things that scare you to go through the experience of, I'm going to do this really scary thing and I'm going to have my own back through it. And so that could be like tiny little things, like just like, what is the thing that scares me that I'm just going to tell myself I'm going to do it anyway. Maybe I'm going to call up a lady and say, you know, this doesn't, I don't know. I'm like trying to think of examples, but um, maybe I'm going to call up a lady and say like, let's meet for coffee because I want to, you know, and, and we'll learn together. And for some reason, the thought of doing that scares me that I'm going to like dare myself to do it, dare myself to do it because then I get to experience what it's like to like be my own advocate, my own best friend, hold my own hand through that experience. Mm-hmm. So when you say what are little things, I'm like, write down all the things that scare you and go do those things. 
right? So if it scares you to raise your hand in class and ask a question or at a for bring in, like be the person that asks the question, dare yourself to do it because that is what will build your confidence. Every time you stop yourself from doing something because you're scared of it, you actually like reinforce your lack of self-confidence. You literally have to put yourself in harm's way. It's so, it sounds so counterintuitive because we're all trying to just stay like comfortable and safe and feel only positive emotion. I just want to be happy and comfortable and safe. But I really want to encourage you to like, if you really actually want to build your self-confidence, you want to put yourself out there. You want to do scary things. You want to dare yourself to do things that normally you wouldn't do that are worth doing, right? Because again, what's on the other side of that? Maybe you're, you're using your talent that Hashem gave you because you're daring yourself to. That's really, I love that approach, this little dare. I think I'm going to like start taking on that every once in a while. Um, what if, let's say you do something and you dare yourself to do it and you did it and it's like, whoa, I did it, but then you fail. And then you start like beating yourself up because of that fail. How do you like get out of that mindset and kind of like come back and start doing those dares again? Yeah. So first of all, you can tell yourself in advance, you can make a decision in advance of what you're going to tell yourself. I, I want to like offer you, like when you said, well, what happens if then you just, you fail and then you start telling yourself all these negative things, like that is your called your brain on default. That is like your, your automatic brain is going to obviously feed you that. You can tell yourself in advance. Again, I'm just, I keep using this talk as an example, but like, let's just say in advance, I, I'm going to tell myself no matter how it goes and no matter what happens, I am going to use this as an opportunity for learning and an opportunity to love myself no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can decide that in advance. You could just be like, we're just not going to be mean to ourselves. You know that you can literally just put your foot down <laughs> like the same way that we're like, can be so kind to other people. Like, how do you talk to your best friend? And yet you talk to yourself in like such a mean way. You can put your foot down and be like, actually, no, actually, I'm going to be my own best friend. And I'm not going to let my brain get away with just saying a nasty comment and me being like, yep, see, I'm such a failure. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's like, number one is making a decision ahead of time. And then number two is like, really slow your brain down and ask yourself, what are you making it mean? Because I actually want you to know there is no such thing as failure. Like there, there really isn't. It's only what you decide failure is. So if you decided failure means A, B, and C, and then that thing happened, now what? Or like, there is no way to fail because all I'm going to do is use it as a learning experience, use it as a way to have my own back and build my self-confidence. Then there's Mm -hmm. not really any such a thing as failure. Say someone is experiencing like harmful thoughts. What's another way that they can help their brain become a safe place? for their energy and I don't know how yeah. you'd say it for themselves. Yeah. I mean, in some ways I kind of feel like I addressed that, but I'll just say it again and maybe like in different lingo, it will, it will resonate. But um, number one, when you say, how do you be a safe space for yourself? It's like, it's, it's understanding that all of our thoughts are optional and you can put your foot down. Now it doesn't mean your brain isn't going to necessarily feed you the thought. It's what you do with it. It's what you decide to do with that thought. That's what machshavazar is. I mean, it could be a lot of things machshavazar, but like a machshavazar is like a thought that's just not okay to not okay to let your brain dwell on, and you are right. It's like the thoughts are going to come, but what are you going to do with it? So if you have a thought that's like, I'm just not talented, and then you're like, Yep, see, it's true, and here's all the ways, and it's true. Because by the way, whatever your brain thinks, it's going to go to work. It's going to find evidence for it. So if you tell yourself, I'm not talented, you're going to find all the ways. C, 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 versus if you tell yourself, 
maybe I do have a talent. What could that be? Your brain's going to be like, oh, look there. Oh, look there. Oh, look there. Right. So you, when, when you say your brain should be a safe space for yourself, I love that. You literally get to decide, like, we are not telling ourselves this thing anymore. You can put your foot down. Kind of like the same way in your, in your household or your, your parents might be like in this house, that's not how we talk or in this house. That's not, that's not the language we use. You can tell yourself self that with your brain in this brain. This is not how we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so let's say you're in a situation is like in an overwhelming situation and it happens a lot. Do you think that let's say you're struggling a lot with these kinds of thoughts, do you think that it's important to um, kind of see, try to work it out yourself first, or do you think you should go to an adult or a professional as well? You said if someone's very overwhelmed, should yes. they work it first or go to a professional? Yeah. Because like overwhelmed. Overwhelmed or like just like really struggling in general. I mean, Here's a, like, first of all, I just think that we definitely, like, we definitely want to do Avaida, right? Avaida is working on ourselves. And so when, like, that work is worth doing, no matter how and in which way you're going to do it, right? Whether you're going to get a, you know, a and learn Tanya in a way that it's so practical that you know exactly how to help yourself with that. That's amazing. Whether it's you sitting down and doing thought downloads and, and creating thought ladders for yourself and really being like, how can I really work through this sentence that my brain is offering me? That is, I'm not allowing this thought in my brain, right? Or whether that's you having a mashpia, a coach, a therapist, whatever it is, like it doesn't, I'm not going to like every situation is so specific. And I think this was more of like a general question. So I'm not, it's not, I'm not going to be able to say like, do it this way because it really depends on what's presented to you. But Avaida is like what we're here for. We're here to do Avaita. And so to just say like, well, that's it. I'm just going to be an anxious person or that's it. I'm just inadequate, unworthy, and not good enough. Like that's just kind of like, again, like giving, giving in to like a very negative thought that isn't tapping into who we are, like, which is again, that pure essential diamond. That okay. So I'm just reading the last few questions we have in the Roster, we spoke about learning to change things when we fail, making failure a social, uh, making failure a learning experience. How do we change one ourselves when we fail in a social environment, and what's there to change about ourselves when we feel we failed with friends? All right, can you repeat that last part again? What is there to change about ourselves when we feel we failed with friends? What is there to change about ourselves? I want to, I want to offer that you, you want to love yourself, not change yourself. I mean, again, specific examples are just easier to kind of like address that specific way. But when you said I fail with friends, like I'm not 100% sure what that means. But again, it's like, this is your opportunity to be your own best friend, to love yourself through that. You're all in stages, right? Where there's a lot of social stuff going on. A lot of, like we said, like maybe anxiety and overwhelm and stress and, and social stuff, right? You're just constantly bombarded with social stuff. And then you're kind of that... I think it's a stage also of a lot of like self-conscious feelings and and working through all your emotions and all of that is extremely normal and you're going to have that, right? We're not, this is not like an exercise in like how to get rid of anxiety and how to get rid of negative thinking and how to get rid of, it's like, how am I going to support myself through that and do the Avaida that's worth doing so that I don't just like 
identify with the mud so that I'm not just like in the mud, ignoring the, the diamond, right. Mm-hmm. Or thinking that, that the crumpled hundred dollars that I'm just crumpled and that therefore my worth is gone. Right. It's like, no, we're going to tap into our worthiness. And so whatever situation you feel like you failed with, with a friend, there's whatever that means. And however, we're going to take care of that, but there's, what are you, what are you doing with you? What are you telling yourself? How are you treating you through that? Mm-hmm. So like all in all, really the key to confidence is having your own back and being your own best friend and learning how to like feel the failure and not failure feel how to get through any emotion I actually want to offer being willing to feel any emotion like discomfort is the currency to success the more uncomfortable we're willing to feel the more we're going to get to the other side of that thing right? When we're avoiding feeling something, I'm just going to talk about emotions really quick. Is that okay? <laughs> sure. Okay. So when, when you have an emotion, which again, our emotions come from a sentence in our head, but when you have an emotion, any person, there's, there's a couple of different things that we can do when we have that emotion. Sometimes we want to resist it and resist. It looks like, no, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way. It's like, right. Like someone's like coming in the door and you're like shutting the door on them. So it's like this emotion's coming and you're like, no, 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 no. And you're like pushing it away. Okay. But guess what? It's like, it just compounds, you know, the book, like Ellie and the little white lie or something, right. It just gets bigger and bigger. So like that emotion, when you're trying to just like push it away, it's just like growing. That's one thing that we do. Another thing that we do sometimes when we have an emotion is we, what I call buffer the emotion, like distract ourselves, right? Like, I don't want to feel that. So I'm just going to go eat a bag of chips or I don't want to feel that. So I'm just going to like go scroll on my phone or I don't want to feel that. Like, so it's like, we try to like avoid it and distract ourselves. But again, we're usually that avoidance and distraction is something that has a negative consequence for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So we just feel gross afterwards or we feel yucky or like we didn't actually solve the emotion. We just sort of like distract ourselves with something negative. And then another option that we could do is what I call vomit our emotions, which is we take them out on everyone, right? So like I'm anxious, now I'm going to snap at everyone around me. I'm overwhelmed, so I'm going to go yell at people, right? It's like we take out our emotions. So again, there's resisting it, there's avoiding it and distracting ourselves. And then there's like taking it out on other people. None of those I recommend all of those end up making the emotion bigger, or it's just going to pop right back up. It's like holding a beach ball underwater. You can only hold it under for a certain amount of time. And then it's going to pop right back up. Same thing. If you use any of those three options to handle an emotion, mm-hmm. but that's what we do. Cause we're like, who wants to feel um, rejection, who wants to feel embarrassed, who wants to feel humiliation, who wants to feel anxiety. We're like, no, let me not feel that. So then we go do these other things, but actually the best thing to do with an emotion is be willing to feel it Mm -hmm. literally feel the feeling in your body all the way through. So emotions cycle through our body, right? So right now think about the last time you were like super angry. You're probably not super angry right now in this moment. You're like, oh yeah, I was angry. And that went through my body and it's gone. So an emotion is like a physical sensation in your body. When I tell you anxiety, how do you know you're feeling anxious? Like maybe you're like, my chest is beating. My hands are clammy. My neck is tight, right? It's a feeling in your body. That's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen when you feel something. And if you tell yourself, I can just feel this. I am willing to feel this very, very uncomfortable. I'm not telling you it's pleasant sensation in my body all the way until it's done being in my body. That is the secret. So I think this was, I don't know, like 
was one of the questions that you had given me in advance was how can someone deal with anxiety when they're in a social setting such as events or parties? So I'm going to just use that as an example. That anxiety is an emotion. There's probably a sentence in their brain that they're thinking, which might be like, I don't know, nobody here likes me, or this is really overwhelming, whatever, right? Like, I don't like being here. I'm an introvert, like some version that then is creating anxiety in their body. Here are the steps I want you to take. Okay. Number one, try to name the emotion. I'm feeling anxiety. Number two is, is like describe how you know you're feeling that in your body. So I'm feeling anxious. My chest is tight. My hands are shaky. My shoulders are tense, right? Like literally just describe it in your body. And then I like to tell myself a a sentence of acceptance. Like I can feel this. Uh, It's okay. Like I can handle the anxiety or I can feel this. I can feel tense in my chest. I can feel clammy in my hands. I'm willing to feel this feeling. And then if you can attribute it to what you're thinking, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling tight in my chest and clammy because I'm thinking probably no one here likes me. Right. And then just be willing to sit with the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Willing to, it's like, it sounds so counterintuitive because we're like, no, I don't want to feel that. But what you're going to do is you're going to get to the other side of the emotion and you're going to be willing to feel very uncomfortable emotions, which is part of our life. Right. And then we get to the other side of it. We get through it instead of like avoid taking it out on people or avoiding it or resisting it or doing things that to try to not feel it, that then we feel awful about that other thing. Right. Versus like, I'm just going to feel this emotion all the way through. Mm -hmm. That's I like that because when you're in the moment, you kind of like almost sometimes like forget to pay attention to yourself and feel what you're feeling. And like, just to like be more mindful is what makes that switch and makes it like mm-hmm. be able to like release it and let it go and not let it fester in your body. Um, I have like one last question um, before we finish up. How do I have the confidence to do the right thing if no one else is? Okay. So um, yeah, I did see that question and I really would actually love more specifics or like an actual example on that question. Like, let's say you're in a friend group and like everyone else is deciding to go to a certain store that you know doesn't have clothes that necessarily would fit with what you're comfortable wearing like let's say this store is known to only sell skirts that come above the knees or only sell shirts that are not sneeze like how do you like kind of push through and say make the boundary, even if all your friends are doing it. Okay. And you're talking about to even go to the store or to buy something from the store? Either or like, depends. Yeah. Like, how do you set okay. the boundary? Right. Cause right. Cause in that scenario, you can be like, I'll go to the store, but I'm not buying anything. Right. So when I first like, kind of like thought about that question, I was like, I'm not sure if it, I'm got, I am going to address the confidence because but I'm not a positive that it takes confidence versus it takes a decision. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I, you can make a decision. I'm not going, I'm going to go and I'm not going to buy anything from this store, or I know I'm not going to go to the store because it's not in line with my values. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be about confidence, but if we take it the confidence route, what are you scared of? Like, let's just say everyone's buying from that store and you go to, let's just say you take the route where you go to the store, but you're like, I'm not going to buy and everyone's buying. What are you scared of? They're going to buy. And you're not, and therefore what? Like, 
like what, like you made a decision, right? You made a decision. You're not going to fit in. Okay. So, so, so that's where self-confidence comes in, right? Which is you having your own back, you loving yourself through that, which is, I, let's just say you decide to go to the store. Everyone's going to buy stuff. And I made a decision. I'm not going to. And so I'm going to love myself through that. What, like, even, even not fitting in is you telling yourself you're not fitting in because mm-hmm. is someone is like, is a, is a girl going to tell you, I don't really want to be friends with you anymore. If you're, if you're not buying stuff, like we're all buying stuff, you're not going to buy stuff. Like, I'm, or is that just your own brain saying, if I don't buy anything now I'm on the outside. Right. So mm-hmm. we have to like, again, be really careful with what we make something mean. Now let's just say someone actually did say like, you're not going to buy stuff. You're, you think you're better than all of us, uh, whatever. I'm making something up like, like, and, and they kind of do say something that you, again, that's an opportunity for you to tap into self-confidence, which is who am I through this? How do I want to take care of myself through this? How can I support myself through this? Okay. Now, if it's like not nothing to do with what someone else said, then whatever you think someone is going to think means you're thinking that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever you, and I'm just going to repeat that again. Whatever you think someone else is thinking means you're thinking that because you don't know someone else's thoughts. So let's say you all go there and you're like, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to buy anything. And no one says anything. They're just busy buying whatever they want. They're not thinking, well, she's not, they're not thinking anything, but your thought is they probably think I'm so like holier than them, right? No one said anything. That means you think that about yourself. You think, oh, I'm better. I'm, I'm whatever. Right. And that's an opportunity again, for you to work on that thought, which is your relationship with yourself in that moment. Mm -hmm. So basically to stop superimposing your thoughts on other people. A thousand percent, especially because it's impossible to know someone else's thought. Impossible. You can never know someone else's thought. The closest you can get to knowing someone's thought is if they say, I'm thinking dot, dot, dot. And I want you to know that even then it could be a lie, right? How many times has someone said like, asked you, do you like this outfit? And you're like, yeah, but you didn't really. Right. So you're, you're not like, they, they think they know what you're thinking. You love it. And you're like, no, I'm actually thinking something different. I'm just not saying it. So it's impossible to know someone else's thought, which means when you think, you know what someone is thinking, say, oh, that's what I'm thinking about myself. And then that's again, your opportunity to do that Vida of working on how you're going to relate to yourself, how you're going to have a relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that's all we have for today. Thank you, Mrs. Landa, for coming and joining us on Ready and Able. Um, see you, everyone, next week. My pleasure. Hey, if you're ready to become a calm and confident mom, I invite you to join the Calm and Confident Chabad Mom Tribe membership where we take all the ideas discussed on this podcast and we implement it. We learn tools and we take action and we do it together so you don't ever have to walk the path of motherhood alone. Visit www.group.adinalanda.com forward slash membership to join. Thank you.